Welcome to Fleet Forward, the podcast of the professional for hire passenger transportation industry. Fleet Forward is brought to you by the Transportation Alliance. Learn more about how we can help you grow your fleet at thetransportationalliance.org. Find us on Facebook and LinkedIn at the Transportation Alliance and follow us on Twitter at Transpo Alliance. And now let's get to our show with your host, John Boyd. Hi, everyone. I'm John Boyd, Executive Vice President of the Transportation Alliance, and thanks for joining us on Fleet Forward. It is tough out there. Since our last podcast, a lot has changed. The whole world got sucker punched by COVID-19, and that little microscopic bug has turned the world on its head. There has never been a more challenging time to run a fleet. One of the keys to surviving this, or any crisis, is information. With good information, we stay calm, we react appropriately, we anticipate opportunities. And without information, we, well, we make bad choices. And now, for weeks, the Transportation Alliance team has been working days, nights, and weekends to bring members the information that helps them make those informed decisions. We've done webinars and video conferences that share everything from what we know about the federal stimulus packages to disinfecting vehicles. Our members get the latest transportation news delivered to their inbox every day at 10 a.m. East Coast time with our Media Watch newsletter. And they get our jam-packed monthly newsletter with original articles written by our team that address specific issues within all service lines of our members' businesses, as well as what's going on in Washington. Now, I'm excited for today's show because there is something for everyone, whether you are in taxi, luxury, non-emergency medical transportation, or more. So first up, we're bringing you an interview with the largest taxi operator in the United States, Bill George of Z-Trip, on how his company has weathered the coronavirus pandemic. And then later in the show, well, you know how there's a lot of talk about how people may not want to fly as much in a post-pandemic world? Well, one longtime industry expert, Joe Rubino, sees opportunity for luxury operators. Let me repeat that. Opportunity for luxury operators. And finally, we'll bring you not one, but two interviews with congressmen who are fighting hard for NEMT. So let's get it started with a discussion with Bill George, the largest taxi company owner in the United States. Bill is the CEO of Z-Trip, now operating in 21 cities. Bill will share how his company has handled the crisis, and he'll even let you in on what I'm forever after going to call the Bill George Rule of 15, a calculation his company has to build optimal staff. So pay attention for that nugget of wisdom and a whole lot more. I reached Bill by phone in Kansas City, Missouri. Bill, thanks so much for joining us. Sure, appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Now, Bill, you own transportation companies in 21 cities. How is COVID-19 affecting your operations, and are you seeing it differ from state to state? Uh, we are seeing a wide variance. Um, to probably go to one extreme, we have a large contract at Dulles Airport with 300 cabs, and Dulles is primarily an international gateway to the United States. So their trip volume is down by about 95%. And drivers on that program were dedicated to the airport. So that's one of our most extreme examples. Then we have markets like Colorado Springs, which um, has a heavy military presence that we've seen maybe a 20% drop off. Um, our average around the country is around 50%, but it's definitely it has a lot to do with the city and the particular market. How are you cleaning your vehicles? Uh, you know, with a fleet of your size, uh, can you even get enough cleaning supplies? Um, we have been. We've been very fortunate because of the, the our size that we were able to negotiate 
um, certain deals with our suppliers, but we bought foggers for all of our vehicles in the cities. So it's um, special chemical trioxidane that is being used. And so we'll fog the vehicles every day. We'll also fog our offices. And then we have supplemental cleaning supplies as well that we make available to all the drivers. Um, and we have specifically set up some vehicles to transport patients that are being released from the hospital that have been diagnosed with COVID-19. And we've, we've gone to the length of putting plexiglass in between the driver and passenger compartment. And then those vehicles are actually fogged immediately before the trip and immediately after the trip. And the drivers are issued uh, protective equipment to transport those. So we've documented all this in films that we'll send to our customers as well as procedures that all the WH cities use nationwide. How are you communicating to your customers the steps that you're taking to keep everybody safe, you know, whether it's to the general public or, or to contract work that you have? Is it by email, by phone, social media, TV ads, radio ads? How are you doing it? Primarily on that, our salespeople are reaching out to all our hospital contacts, and then it's kind of gone viral from there because the hospitals are all speaking to each other. So we contacted our major accounts, let them know that we have this available. We did a print piece as well as I mentioned the video that we're then emailing them and letting them know the service is available. Uh, Kansas City alone yesterday, we did five of these special trips, and we expect the amount to increase You know, as this um, peak period is, is still undergoing and as people get released. Now, let's talk about remote operations. Is there any part of your company that can move to a virtual workspace or that had already done it even before this uh, uh, this pandemic? Um, you know, we, we've been fortunate when we built WHC, we outsourced our call center. And um, we have with 21 different locations, we have employees in these locations. So we've got a very strong um, backbone that everybody works off. So we were already set up that most of our key people could remote anyway into our system. So that part has been relatively easy for us because we didn't have to create anything. Um, with our designation as an essential business, we still have our offices occupied in each city, um, albeit with fewer people. And it, you know, non-essential people are allowed to work from home if necessary. But uh, given our decentralized structure, this, while it's certainly a test, it wasn't something that we hadn't already had the infrastructure in place for. Have you been able to find new work as a result of the challenges of COVID-19 on a society as a whole? Well, school children was a big part of our, our work. And when that shut off, we looked at it. And, and with, you know, in, in many communities, a breakfast and lunch are the only nutrition that a lot of kids get each day. So we partnered with a lot of our school districts to do home meal delivery. Um, all of our drivers, for the most part, have signed up with various apps to do delivery. We've contacted customers, and we had launched a program called Z-Ship that was um, a delivery service already. So we expanded on that, contacted a lot of our customers, and said anybody needed to move any packages, um, whether it's home meal delivery. We've worked with produce vendors that supply the um, restaurants to be able to supply like a grocery kit to customers that want to call in for that. And it's just the idea that, you know, some commerce is still going on. People don't want to leave their homes in many cases, so we try to fill the void on that end. But the, the biggest part for us is just to make sure that all of our customers know that we're still in business, that we are here to be a great partner to them, and that the cleanliness and the safety of our drivers and our customers are paramount, and we're spending a lot of time 
money and effort on making sure that we're delivering the service safely and responsibly. The Transportation Alliance is a big advocate, as you know, of diversifying operations to mitigate economic downturns. Are you diversified and has that helped you in the current crisis? You know, we we made a commitment a long time ago that we are still in the cab business. And uh, a lot of companies wanted to default to the NEMT work or, you know, with the exception of our contract in Dulles, which is a one-off. Um, they wanted to still work the airports or the hotels and that type of thing. And we've constantly stressed that we are in the cab business. And what we did with our technology was really started grading on driver acceptance rates. And because we had a robust recruiting program, we were able to transition out drivers that did not want to hit the accept button. And as a byproduct of that, we built a diverse base of business because people knew that they could call or use the app, um, call their favorite driver and get a response. And so we became, they became more reliant on us for that reason. So I think that's been one of the the saving graces that we've experienced. Um, And we always looked at where we had concentration in business. And it's given us an opportunity as we look back at the cities that have had the more significant fall off than others, how we can get back to that basic principle that, you know, cab business is there all the time. Just have to be willing to go out and get it and make sure that you're educating drivers and recruiting drivers from the neighborhoods in which you want them to serve. And so I think it's been reinforced more than anything. Now, Bill, some operators are reporting anywhere from 50 to 90 percent declines in business. So what advice would you give to a fellow operator? Well, you know, it's tough. And and fortunately, the SBA loans that are out there can help bridge some of this activity. I do think that our business will be on the leading edge of when commerce starts back, that we will start to feel it immediately. It's an opportunity to look at your operations. And and we had this opportunity when when we did the acquisitions. Um, I can't tell you how many companies we've bought that had 50, 60, 70,000 square foot buildings and large lots and everything else and uh, a ton of people. Our average is about one employee for every 15 cabs in all of our markets. And so we've been able to keep that smaller ratio, which has helped on the overhead side. But I would, I would strongly recommend anybody go back and, and look at your operation, determine what expenses, what services could be put into a variable cost mode. So when you do have a downturn like this, it's not devastating. Um, the example I always use, we're much like the hotel business. If you're running at 90, 95% occupancy, you're printing money. If you're down in the 30s and 40s, you're hemorrhaging money. And so by being able to scale our operations through the variable cost method, that you can make money at all realms of occupancy is helpful. And so we've been able to do that and we designed the company around that. And as I mentioned, this is certainly a test. We thought we would experience something like this maybe in one or two markets and we were diversified enough to be able to survive it. But when you experience it in all your markets, um, it certainly comes back and tells you, here's the things we did right and here's the things that we can improve upon. And we're taking advantage of the slower period to really work on those efforts. We've had a tough couple of decades in this industry. We had terrorist attacks in 2001 that shut down travel. We had SARS in 2003, a financial meltdown in 2008, the MERS epidemic in 2012, and now this. Now, I know it may be early to think about this, but what do you think transportation companies could do to better prepare for the next wave of large-scale disruption? Because history shows that it happens again and again. 
what concrete things should a company have on its checklist to be prepared? Well, I, I think it boils down to the interesting thing. Everybody in the interest, industry was very eager to raise their flag saying we're an essential service so we can still operate. I think it's time that you go back and look at it and says, what does that really mean? If you're essential, are you essential to the person that's going to the grocery store at four o'clock in the afternoon? Are you essential to the bartender that's getting off work at two, two in the morning? And are you really positioning your business to be what people consider essential, which also, you know, defaults to reliable. And I think that's part of what happened through all this, you know, in our early history, you know, before the disruption that occurred in, in 2014 and beyond, a lot of times people just took for granted, there's more business than I could ever handle, so I'll cherry pick what I could do, and they got no other choice. And now that we found out that they do, um, we have an opportunity that I think people would like a branded vehicle, that they understand there is a safety protocol there. The cleaning methods that we're using now, I don't see them ever going away. I think it's a new way of doing business. The way that we interact with our customers, whether we decide to go back to a shield for a completely different reason than what they used to be for, um, all these different things you can go ahead and build on and build on an essential yet reliable brand that becomes the brand of choice. And that's where the opportunity comes in this. And I think those that adapt to it, that believe in it and invest along those lines and, and train and recruit along those lines will succeed. And I think if people want to, you know, it's the same way for 20 years. If you want to keep doing business as usual, you'll find out those are the operators that have been hit the hardest. Now, Bill, before we wrap up, as you know, we talk a lot um, these days about non-emergency medical transportation in this industry. Um, can you touch on how what you feel or how important it is now and in the future for uh, transportation companies that Medicaid continue to fund non-emergency medical transportation, NEMT. I mean, we all know it's vital to pe the people who need those medical treatments, but what does it mean for your companies and your drivers? Oh, it's, a, it's an important part of our business in, in every city, and it's an area that I think we can thrive in because of the protocols that we take and because of the, the vulnerability of the population that we're serving with that. And I think, if anything, this has proven that, number one, the importance of getting medical attention to these people. So when you look at one pressure that states, you know, the federal government don't want to fund this transportation, we all know the number one reason that people get readmitted to the hospitals because they didn't do their follow-up appointments. And the number one reason that occurred is because they didn't have adequate transportation. So I think there's an opportunity that strengthens the argument why it's a critical service and then number two, why you don't want to rely on the typical mom and pop to deliver such a critical service and what happens to that infrastructure and why it needs to be protected. So I think as, as we do a recap on what happened as we come out of this, this current crisis, who, what industries do we rely on? What protocols need to be put in place? Who can we count on 24-7 to do the right thing here and help stop the spread of something like this and support the activities? versus let's just go with the cheapest option out there and ignore all these other lessons that were learned. Well, Bill, I know you have a company to run, uh, several companies to run, in fact, um, fleets across the country. Um, greatly appreciate you taking the time uh, to, uh, to, to talk through some of the, the challenges that, that all operators are having these days um, and to uh, provide some guidance and counsel. Greatly appreciated. Thank you. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. appreciate all the great work you guys are doing at TTA.
That was Bill George, CEO of Z-Trip, speaking with me from Kansas City. Now, if you are a member of the Transportation Alliance, then you know you have exclusive access to the top executives in the industry through our exclusive Workplace app, an online portal open only to fleet operator members. It's amazing to see one operator pose a question on Workplace and then see 10 people instantly respond with advice that saves time and money, both of which are incredibly valuable at this moment. There's really no better help desk in the industry and a membership in the Transportation Alliance can save you that in time and money many, many times over with free advice, business ideas, you name it. Well, I saw a post recently by Joe Rubino, a former fleet operator, industry columnist, and transportation expert about business opportunities created by this pandemic. While I can't share the entire post, I asked Joe to record just a snippet from his business advice. And here's Joe Rubino from his office in Crescent Beach, Florida. While the COVID-19 pandemic has temporarily paralyzed our economy, including many of our member companies, you may soon have new opportunities. As Albert Einstein said in what has become my favorite business quote, in the middle of difficulty lies opportunity. We all know the American business landscape will change, and that includes passenger transportation. But our industry is uniquely positioned because a large amount of our work is done with only one or a few clients at a time. There's rarely a crowd in the backseat of your vehicle. You need to recognize the upcoming opportunity and position yourself. New opportunities will exist for companies who can fashion services that provide a reasonable alternative to airline travel. Some people will now hesitate to enter a crowded airport to say nothing aboard the crowding airplane. So you need to create services that can replace the short airline flight. Do the math. Identify destinations within four hours or so of your location where a round trip can be done in one day. Executives, sales reps, attorneys, and others who live, for example, in a place like Chicago, but who need a face-to-face -face meeting in Indianapolis, can make a same-day round trip with your driver. Figure out reasonable rates that work for your market. Make the back seats of your vehicles more comfortable. Equip your vehicles in a way that your client never loses his or her internet connection. Have a cooler with drinks, snack, and fruit. I think that many business travelers will start to do the math. You should as well. Prepare now because this will be a thing. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. Many thanks, Joe, for recording that. And for what it's worth, I don't think you're wrong. Now, this was supposed to be the year when non-emergency medical transportation, or NEMT, was going to be the biggest legislative issue for the industry in Congress. And then along came COVID-19, and, well, obviously that took priority. But there are still key issues that Congress is working on. And if you are in NEMT, or you want to get into it, then you'll want to hear more about the fight to protect Medicaid-funded NEMT. We start with Representative Buddy Carter, who represents Georgia's first congressional district in Washington, D.C. Congressman, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, uh, a lot of our members know, certainly, that you are a great champion of NEMT. What they might not know is that you have the distinction of also being the only licensed pharmacist in Congress, and you operate a pharmacy in Georgia. How has your background in the pharmaceutical business shaped your opinion on NEMT and 
how has it made NEMT important to you personally? Well, I've witnessed it firsthand as a practicing pharmacist for over 30 years. I've, I've seen the importance of making sure that patients are compliant, compliant with their health care needs, their, their health care services, particularly as it relates to prescription drugs. So often we see that, um, you, and, you know, as a pharmacist, I witnessed patients not picking up their medicine and, and therefore going without it. And we know that that's no good, that, that, that they need that continuity of care. One of the struggles that I have had as a healthcare professional and having served in the state legislature for many years and now serving in Congress is explaining to my non-health um, colleagues the value of preventative medicine and, and of, of, of adherence and compliance. And they don't seem to, to understand it as, as we healthcare professionals understand it. We understand the value of making sure that, that a dialysis patient makes it to their to their um, treatments and 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 doesn't miss a treatment or or that a patient makes it to their doctor's appointment and that they get their medicine that they get their health care needs in a consistent and, and timely fashion and how important that is and how much that can how much money that can save the health care system that's what's uh, the the key to me and we've we've had studies that show that in, in, in fact there was a study in the state of Florida that showed if just one percent of the patients who who get um, non-emergency medical transportation if they were to if we can prevent an emergency room visit then the taxpayers receive over a thousand percent return on investment so just to, to be able to provide that service can can save us money we you know we tend to look at it oh where where can we cut where can we cut and and that's okay I get that and I understand that but you have to keep in mind when you cut, you may be costing yourself more money, and particularly when it relates to, to health care and, and the delivery of health care services. You're 100% right. I mean, NEMT helps millions of Americans, and it would seem that it should be a very simple, straightforward, bipartisan um, issue, and yet it seems to be under attack from some members of Congress and, uh, and the administration. Um, so why do you think that that is? What is it that, I mean, is, is this just a matter of educating people more about it? Or what's the hurdle we need to overcome in order for people to understand the, the enormous cost savings that providing an EMT gives us as taxpayers? Well, certainly we need to continue to educate our colleagues and members of Congress. We need to continue to educate them about the value that the service brings. But they are concerned, and legitimately so, with, fraid, with, with waste and fraud and abuse. And, and that does occur in this program, as it occurs in every program. Now, this one, uh, this one is, is, is certainly not unique, and I'm concerned about that too. I'm concerned about waste, fraud, and abuse, and, and that's why I, I want us to look at that, and that's why I'm, I'm working on uh, program integrity measures that, um, that, that will benefit this program and, and give us assurances that we need that this program is being utilized like it should be. 
so th- that is that is one of the primary concerns that I think a lot of my colleagues have is just the waste, fraud, and abuse. And this was this is the type of program that would uh, lend itself to to being victim of that. But again, uh, we we have other ways that we can address that situation instead of just cutting out the program. You know, I know that you've been a real leading champion of um, NEMT. You filed House Bill three nine three five. Can you uh, can you boil that down for us? What is three nine three five? Sure. What that would do is just to make this benefit a, a permanent Medicaid benefit, and to also implement new oversight requirements to stop this wage fraud and fraud and abuse that uh, I was describing earlier. This is a program that's been around for a long time. It's been around since nineteen sixty six, but. The program is only required by regulation, and the administration or this administration or any administration could change it at any time. We need the assurance that the program is going to be there. That's why we need it in statute. That's why we need to pass legislation that would put it in statute so that we know that it would be required to be part of the Medicaid program, and we also know that there would be uh, oversight requirements so that we can guard against in, um, waste, fraud, and abuse. Now, the, the members of our association, the Transportation Alliance, um, they, they run transportation companies all over the country and on uh, different continents. And what can our members do to help support these efforts and specifically your efforts um, on protecting NEMT legislatively? Well, what they can do and what is so very important is the grassroots uh, approach and, and the grassroots effort that they can help us with by by encouraging their members of Congress and, and not only the House but also in the Senate to – to sign or to support this legislation, members of the House to to um, sign on to this bill HR 3935, and members of the Senate also to to um, we're looking for someone right now to try and carry that legislation. In fact, I've got a call either this afternoon or tomorrow to um, talk to a senator about carrying it in the Senate. So there will be a companion bill in the Senate, but we need them to sign on to these bills because that will be important. You know, if we if we try to look into the future and and see what this looks like. I serve on the Energy and Commerce Committee, and I can tell you that autonomous vehicles, self-driving vehicles, are going are they're going to be here sooner than you think, and that's going to be very important, and that's going to be part of what we're looking at. We already know what technologies like Uber and Lyft can can offer to to this type of program. So, it's very important that uh, those listening and and make sure that they help us by advocating in a grassroots effort to to get their their legislators to to support this and to sign on to this bill. We need this program. It will it saves us money and it improves healthcare in America. Congressman, thank you so much for your time and uh best of luck with everything and and we'll do everything we can to help you. Thank you very much. That was Congressman Buddy Carter in Washington DC. Now, there must be something about Georgia Pines that brings common sense to Washington, because in addition to Congressman Carter, another Georgia congressman, Sanford Bishop of Georgia's 2nd District, is also leading the charge to protect NEMT. I caught up with him at his office in Washington, D.C. Let's listen. Congressman, thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted to be with you. 
Now, Congressman, our members had the pleasure of meeting you uh, at your office in Washington, as well as in your home district in Georgia. And we were all very pleased that you came to speak uh, to a group of us at our annual trade group fly-in in Washington last year. So we certainly know what a champion of non-emergency medical transportation you are. Uh, but tell me, why is protecting NEMT important to you on a personal level? Well, first off, let me thank the Transportation Alliance for inviting me to participate in the podcast and for all of the outstanding work that you do uh, in pursuing this uh, non-emergency medical transportation uh, issue. Uh, I was uh, inspired to work on the issue uh, based on the experience of a staff member of mine in Albany whose daughter had end-stage renal disease and subsequently had a successful kidney transplant uh, back in 2015. Uh, it's also uh, an important issue for me because my congressional district, the second congressional district of Georgia, which is uh, middle and southwest Georgia, uh, is um, has a, a, a number of, of individuals uh, who uh, are affected by end-stage renal disease. 51% uh, of the population is African-American, and, of course, African-Americans have 3.7 times uh, the chances of, of having end-stage renal disease as, as others. Uh, and 14% of the residents of my congressional district uh, have diabetes compared to the 8.5% uh, nationally. So uh, diabetes is a primary uh, risk for end-stage renal disease. And of course, uh, we have some of the uh, worst uh, health outcomes with uh, uh, high blood pressure and, uh, 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 of course, uh, heart disease, which are, go hand in hand with uh, uh, diabetes. So the median e income is only about 62% of the national average. Uh, and of course, uh, with low incomes, uh, making $15,000 or less, they are 50% more likely to have end-stage renal disease than others. So dialysis clinics are very prevalent in my district. We got 42 of them. Uh, the average is 26 per congressional district. And uh, I have uh, participated uh, in opening uh, a number of dialysis centers, which uh, was on the one hand was a good thing uh, because it uh, gave an opportunity for, for treatment and for life or a number of my constituents, but uh, on the other hand, it reflected the, the fact that there was such a, a great need for it in our area. So um, most of the uh, non-emergency medical transport is um, to take people to dialysis, and that is a big, big deal in my district, and it's a big deal in a lot of uh, rural areas uh, similar to my district across the country, and so uh, non-emergency medical transportation really helps millions of Americans. Well, and there's no question that, you know, Georgia is definitely leading the charge on this. You know, we're very pleased to see, you know, I, I know that your colleague, uh, Congressman um, Buddy Carter, has also been very involved in this. And, you know, you, uh, you and Congressman Carter have co-sponsored a bill, and there's a number that I want all of our listeners to kind of etch into their minds, and that is 3935. And that is the House, House Bill number 3935 that would, in broad brushstrokes, that would essentially write into law that NEMT is a guaranteed benefit under Medicaid, correct? That is correct. 
and that and that protection currently does not exist and um so is there i mean first of all i congratulate you and congressman carter on working across the aisle on this uh um so uh you know i i think that that's a that's a wonderful example of how um of how congress can come together to uh you know for the for the the betterment of 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 the constituents um is there any update on where bill 3935 stands right now well uh right now it's it's still in committee uh has not been voted out of the energy and uh, commerce committee as of yet uh we have made some efforts uh, on the appropriations bills uh but uh, let me just say that uh, the availability of non-emergency medical transportation has been uh, uh, present, uh, but the administration had uh, proposed a rule that would make it optional. And of course, if states have the option of not including it, uh, there's a great likelihood that it, it will be abolished. And of course, that would impact so very many people all across the country that uh, we thought that we ought to take some legislative steps to try to uh, prevent uh, the ending of uh, the non-emergency medical transport. So we've done a couple of things, several things. So one, uh, uh, I led the effort uh, in the FY 2020 uh, Labor HHS Appropriations Act for a limitation on appropriations to prevent the publication of a rule that would make that Medicaid non-emergency medical transportation benefit an optional uh, benefit at the state level. Uh, we got report language included in the bill um, to commission a Medicaid and CHIP payment and access commission study uh, and to direct uh, the, the uh, CMS to wait until that study was completed. I also plan on asking for a similar limitation in the FY21 Labor HHS Appropriations Bill. Uh, in addition, Representatives Carter, Cardenas, and, and Graves uh, introduced, uh, along with me, uh, H.R. 3935, which is called the Protecting Patients Transportation to Care Act, uh, which would permanently uh, put into law the non-emergency medical transport benefit uh, so that it's... Uh, uh, permanent by law and not just by regulation. Uh, we had a hearing on the bill before the House Energy and Commerce Committee in January uh, with Fred Riccardi, president of the Medicare Rights Center, testifying in favor of the legislation. As you correctly say, you know, NEMT helps millions of Americans. And it does seem like, I mean, as, as you say, I mean, it's NEMT was under attack um, sort of at the end of last year, and and we and uh, you know we need to keep a close eye on this this year certainly. You know, NEMT is something that quite literally saves hundreds of millions of dollars, or quite frankly billions of dollars of taxpayer money. And what can our members do to help you in supporting these efforts uh, on on the bill and beyond the bill as well? Well, uh, I would hope that your members would be in touch with their members of Congress and their members of the United States Senate uh, to urge their support uh, of, of the effort to maintain the non-emergency medical transportation uh, and that they would uh, emphasize just how vital and critical it is to, uh, uh, to life for hundreds of thousands of people across this country. Uh, secondly, I'd like uh, for them to uh, urge uh, their representatives and their United States senators to uh, to join in co-sponsoring uh, uh, the bill. 
and uh, if they're in the Senate, to make sure that when the bill comes to the Senate that uh, they will support it, and in the House uh, for them to join as co-sponsors. Uh, and, of course, uh, when the bill comes to the floor, we certainly would hope that they would vote for it. Well, we definitely expect that this is, I mean, we know that this is at the top of our agenda this year, legislatively. Congressman, we thank you so much for your leadership on this issue. Um, we know you're working hard on it, and we look forward to being in touch and, and, uh, and seeing you soon. So thank you very much for joining us today. Just remember, H.R. 3935, the Protecting Patients Transportation to Care Act, is important. And uh, ask your members uh, to contact their members of Congress, uh, the House and the Senate, to support it. You know, because right. if we work together, uh, we can save this important program and we can ensure that the most vulnerable patients uh, get the transportation they need uh, to have access to their life-saving medical treatment. And sometimes it's, it's, it's uh, uh, dialysis. Other times it's just to, to get their medication. When they have life, the need for life-saving medication, when they have the need for uh, dialysis or other medical procedures, uh, particularly in rural areas, uh, they have to have transportation. And even in some of our urban areas, without that transportation, these people will die. That was Congressman Sanford Bishop in Washington. Well, that music means we've come to the end. Let me just say that first and foremost, I hope that everyone stays safe and healthy. We will get through this. It will take hard work, and it will require us all to share ideas and talk to one another. The members of the Transportation Alliance have been doing exactly that for 103 years, longer than any trade group of its kind. So if you aren't a member yet, check us out at thetransportationalliance.org, email us at info at thetransportationalliance.org, find us on Facebook and LinkedIn at the Transportation Alliance, and follow us on Twitter at Transpo Alliance. I'm John Boyd. Let's keep those fleets moving forward, everybody.